The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and open them with me the Gospel according to Mark. We're going to be picking up there here in just a moment, Mark chapter 4. As a matter of fact, we're looking or examining currently verses 21 through 34. There are a number of subheadings that come into that, a number of paragraphs that you might notice, but we're kind of running it all together, and you'll see that uh, reasoning behind that hopefully as we continue to develop this. <clears throat> heard a story just last evening that I thought was pretty appropriate, and maybe you'll get it when I get through it. But uh, basically, there was a young preacher that came to town. It's been a long, long time ago. Uh, but he came to town, and it was his very first Sunday in town. Hadn't really even met anybody. He was living kind of right behind the church building in a little small uh, cabin out behind that. And a huge snowstorm came through. And so he made his way up to just kind of trudge right there across the path made his way up to the church building, uh, looked around for a while and didn't see anybody anywhere near the church building. So he assumed maybe they weren't meeting that day. And then an old farmer come pulling up on his tractor and uh, engaged him a little bit. And of course he told the farmer, he said, looks like we are gonna be only two here. So I guess we just won't have services today. And the farmer said, well, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. I think we ought to meet anyway and said, I, I don't know exactly you know, what to tell you other than I'm a farmer. And being a farmer as I am, he said, if I only had one cow come up, I'd feed them. And so he thought, well, that's a good idea. So the preacher got up and he preached his very first gospel sermon. The thing about it is they say he preached for two and a half hours. And so when they got on, the, he asked the farmer, he said, well, what do you think of that? He said, well, that was definitely a sermon. No doubt about it, that was a sermon. He said, well, really, though, what, I wonder what you thought about it. He said, well, son, said, I tell you what, I told you that if I only had one cow, I'd still feed him. He said, I, I would. He said, but I wouldn't feed him the whole load. <laughs> and so he apparently gave him the whole load. And I know that through our studies in Mark, uh, sometimes maybe I've gave you more of a load than you look for. And that's why we're only in chapter four. But we've got about two weeks left. And we're going to pause for a while. Cliff's going to come back in here. Uh, for a bit, so we're going to get where we can. And Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, we were kind of examining it on last week, maybe the week before, and here's what it says, And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and is it not set to be on a candlestick? And we looked at several parallel passages that go along with that. Of course, Matthew has an account of this. Mark as well as Luke, so what we would call typically the synoptic gospel accounts uh, came and talked about that. And every one of those accounts, the, uh, the way that it is translated at least, comes forth exactly like this. And the illustration is always the same, basically, that if a candle is lit, it's intended to serve its purpose. It's intended that light should be put up on a candlestick, a high place in the house, their candlesticks, uh, may not have always sat in the middle of the room. They may be more like some of these lights on our side walls, just lifted up so they could give out their light. And Matthew, as well as Luke, illustrates that very well. And as we mentioned as we were closing last week, Mark's account of it reads exactly the same, or very much the same. However, uh, Mark, through God's inspiration, is given a very, very peculiar word 
uh, that is translated here in the King James and every other translation really I could come across basically as brought. The word brought, so it reads just like that. Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel? And we were looking at the fact that that word translated brought is translated 291 other times in the New Testament as the word come. And so maybe that's it's what you have. Is a candle come? Jesus being that light. Am I coming to this world only to be hid? And of course that really brings the illustration home even farther because we are hiding our Lord. We're not just hiding our lights, we're hiding His light from one another. And we were kind of looking at the fact that sometimes that takes place what I call incidentally, meaning it just happens, just the way that we live sometimes hides His lights. And then sometimes it's done intentionally. And in the context, I think preceding chapter leading into this, that's happened at times as well, where people were offended by what Jesus was doing. And so basically his friends and his family come in and try to whisk him away. They don't want to get him involved in that. Maybe that's bringing some type of uh, negative reaction on them, so they pull him away. But nonetheless, the candle is sometimes hidden. And we looked at that a little bit on last week. Now the way that ties in to, I believe, the rest of the chapter is because Jesus has just completed preceding verses. I mean by that verses 1 to 20. He's just given us what we refer to, and He does as well, as the parable of the sower. That's found in Matthew 13, 18. Uh, Jesus called it that. He went through all those four types of soil, both illustrating as well as uh, ex expo exposing the truth in that, 1 to 12, and then uh, 13 through 20, letting them know exactly what those soil types were. And that was to say, basically, you need to sow the seed. The seed is being sowed and it is the Word of God and we as individual Christians we need to continue to sow that seed. And we in turn need through that seed to be able to on God's providential uh, care to, uh, to bring forth fruit. And we talked about last week in the beginning what that fruit could have been and obviously includes if not a few other things that explicitly has to include converts, it has to include Christians or those being brought to Christ to become Christians uh, by the sowing of that seed. And that's where the context comes in. The next illustration is you need to sow the seed, but as you're sowing the seed, don't hide my light. And that is our lifestyles have to measure and equal up to uh, what we're speaking. So what comes off our lips has to coincide with our lifestyles. And then in verse 22 of Mark 4, it says this, And there is nothing that can be hid which shall not be made manifested, neither is anything kept secret, that it, should not be, that it should not come abroad. And so the life that we live will be seen and Jesus himself should be seen in that. And then in verse 23, he repeats that, he repeats that statement. He's used a few times, uh, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And sometimes that's the hardest part. It's just not just hear with our ears to hear what God says, but to hear it as in action coming out of that. And that includes sowing the seed it includes of shining that light that he brings forth. And then in verse 24 is kind of really what we're picking up tonight. And he said unto them, Take heed, that is, stand up, pay attention, listen, to what you hear, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again, and that ye that hear, it shall be more be given. And, and I've heard that many a times, and it's true uh, that in principle, this can apply in so many aspects. I mean by that verse 24, what measure you meet, it shall be given. 
So whatever measure we're given, it shall be increased is the next verse that actually comes into that. And that can be illustrated in a lot of ways. Sometimes I've heard this verse brought out of its context, really. I think principle, it's okay to do so. But brought out of its context in speaking of our giving. It's the idea of he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Whatever measure he meet, it shall be given to him. And it can be brought out of the context for that. But you and I know well that the Bible teaches, and I think there are more than these two, but I think at least teaches by two aspects. One, uh, just about everything that you read in Scripture can teach by principle. And that is there are ex extra applications. There are ways in which you can see things, such as using this verse to describe our giving or something like that. But it mainly teaches by passage. And you have to ask yourself, what does the context of the passage say principles are sometimes there but what about the passage and that has to be first and so if you ask this context in the passage itself what's being taught what's being taught here is about the life that we receive the life that we have and how god will allow us to have an increase on that light based on the use of the light itself and whether or not that light was hid or not, whether or not that light is lived or not, and whether or not preceding verses, whether or not that sow, uh, seed that was intended to be sown is being sown. And so that comes out in what he gives us. And if you look back into verse 21, and I tie these together as well, verse 24, he mentions the fact that this light or candle is sometimes hid under a bushel. What's a bushel basket? Some of you know more about measurements and such as that. What would we consider a bushel basket? What's the amount that's involved in that modernly? Anybody know? Four pecks. Four pecks? That helped a lot. <laughs> Me, at least. That's tremendous uh, right there. Um, two gallons is the rough estimate I've come up with. And that, I don't mount to a hill of beans either, and that's not a pun on the bushel basket either. But that doesn't matter either. But about two gallons. I mean, if you've ever received an, a supposed actual bushel basket, if you've gone to a, a fruit stand or vegetable stand, sometimes they'll give those out or at least used to. I can remember you used to, you went and got them, but then it was kind of your uh, obligation to bring that back the next time you came. You set that one down, you exchanged it for another, and so I don't know how old some of those are. But about two gallons and makes no, no difference there. But that was illustrated the fact that you could take a bushel and you could use that bushel to cover up that light. And that light that should never be hid could be hidden by that bushel. Then he says, what measure, which is probably a point back to that, what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. So whatever amount uh, that you want to take advantage of, that, that'll be yours. And, and you could apply that to many things. Again, in passage, I think that would have to apply to the life that is shown, to the seed that is sown, what have you. But you could illustrate that just by simply saying that, you know, whatever it is that you want to take advantage of that God has given you, I could probably use Bible study for that example. Who's going to ultimately be a better Bible student? Just for illustration, a person who spends an hour a week in Scripture or maybe one who spends ten? That's, I mean, that's just pretty simple and easy to understand. The more time we give to anything in life, probably the better skilled or astute we would be in it, the better student of something we would be. And so what measure is measured unto you, it shall be given. Now, if you look at that a little bit farther in this, there are several types of growth ultimately that are going to come out. I've kind of 
jotted them in my margin and highlighted a little bit. First of all, I think you could look in verse 24, and this is what I'm calling a predetermined growth. So when you think about the growth in the whole context down through verse 34, there's a predetermined growth, and that predetermined growth is you reap what you sow. The more that you or I put into something, particularly when we put it into God's Word, the more time that we put into uh, reaching of souls, or more time that we put into trying to bring the light, meaning our Lord, in the presence or in the front of the minds and the eyes of others, into being made manifest. That's the quote from right up the page there, verse 22. The more we put into that, the more that's going to come out at the end. And so you put it in the context of the first 20 verses of this chapter. And someone sowing the seed. If you invite, and I'm just using this for illustration again, if you invite one person per month uh, to study the Bible with you or maybe just to attend our services, will that be oftentimes more successful than someone who may invite 20? That's again a lopsided number. The more effort that is put in, the more the effort that comes out from that. And so take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall be more given. Now look at verse 25. For he that hath to him it shall be given, or he that hath not from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. What does that sound like? I'm talking about there verse 25. What does that sound like when you come to uh, parables? I'll say that as a clue. A parable or an account, or a story that Jesus has told at some point in time. What you have, ultimately, if you don't use it, it'll be what? You'll lose it. It'll be taken away. Very much sounds like the parable of the talents. Matter of fact, if you want to put parallels in this, this is exactly what I've written in the margin for that. We'll turn over to it in just a moment. Matthew 25 is one of those accounts, verse 14 beginning. But it sounds a lot like the parable of the talents. You've got to use what God has given you, whatever that is, or in essence, lose access to it. So go back to Matthew chapter 25 right here. Now this is, would be Mark's abbreviated version of that. Of course, he doesn't give that, exp, exp, he doesn't expound on it right here in this verse. But go back to Matthew chapter 25. Someone, if you don't mind, uh, help me just a little bit with my breath tonight. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. I'll probably pause you a little bit, but Matthew 25, verse Well, I'll, I'll pause right there just to say that you can notice already he says it's for the kingdom of heaven. So this is going to be one of those kingdom parables, those kingdom illustrations. Verse 25, I'm sorry, uh, 15. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several abilities. And straightway took his journey. Okay, you, know, you and I know as Bible students we're going to read more of it, but you know how this is going to bear out. He gives five talents to this man. He gives another two, and of course it continues down that row. But why does he make the choices, and I mean by that the man here, why does he make a choice as who gets what? What does it say based those choices on verse 15? According to his several ability. 
So if we want to use talent to be talents like we speak of it, instead of the, the funds or the money that is illustrated as well, if you don't use a talent for talent the way we think about it, our talents are based on what we're able to do. Our skill set is based on then what? What we're actually able to do. Now what ends up being, time we get to the end of this, we'll read a little bit more of it in a few minutes, but what ends up being the result when a person or when these people do not use their talents? They lose it. What ends up being the, the condemnation on them, or what's the judgment that comes down based on the fact that they did not choose to use? I accidentally said the word, they're condemned for it. The judgment is that they're condemned for not using what they've been given. But it's according to their several ability. Verse 16, if you don't mind, Dale, picking up. Likewise, verse 17. Okay, verse 18. Okay, so that's the contrast. Keep reading, that's fine. Okay, so we've got two options that are going to be available. One of them is commendation, and one of those is condemnation. What's the difference in those two words? Commendation means what? You're getting praised. You're getting lifted. You're getting ultimately rewarded for that. What about condemnation? You're getting put down. You're getting put away. You're being, in, in a sense, punished for such. All right, keep reading there. You're in verse, uh, what, 21? I think, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Okay, which one of them gets the greater commendation? I can't hardly keep my words straight. Who gets the greater commendation? Neither. Praise. Neither. They're equal. Because they are doing what? They're doing with their, what King James speaks, called the several ability in verse 15. Brad, you got the new King James. Does it say anything different in 15? Several ability, quote unquote. 15, 25, 15. Own ability, okay. The own ability, own given ability is the idea there. According to the several ability. Now I keep reading, we know about the last one here. Okay. Did God expect, and that's representative here, did this uh, man who'd been traveling to a foreign country, did he expect, the Lord of these people, did he expect the man with one talent to be able to handle it? Yeah. yeah. 
Just like he expected the one that was given five and the one that was given two, he expected of them that they would be able to handle whatever they had. But what did he do with it? You've already read into some of it. He didn't, he didn't do anything with it. He basically said that he hid it because he did not want to be what? He didn't want to have to deal with that master. But what was the result? He was condemned for it. And so you consider that and you think about it. Each one of us have been given an allotted, and I'm using talents as far as talents. I, I understand the, the monetary side of this, but each one of us have been given a talent or some listing of abilities to do with, one of which that we've all been given universally, whether or not we can use it to one extent or another, is what? Context and mark. One to 20. Been given a seed to sow. Verse 21, being given a light to shine. Verse 22 to 24, being given a measure to meet. So there's responsibility that's placed upon each one of us to one extent or another. How uh, our means through which we are able to use that may be different. Can everyone, quote unquote, sow the seed by standing in a pulpit like a, a gospel preacher would? No. For one case, in a public assembly, only half of the number, gender-wise, and I use gender because that's just the word that comes up, but sex-wise would even be given that liberty in a public mixed setting. Can everyone sow the seed by the same means in that case? No. Does that take away the responsibility of any, though? What are other ways, and we're just illustrating, what are other ways that we might consider the seed being able to be sown? Personal, one-on-one -on -one basis a lot of times, or should be most of the time. Could that be done with with Bible in hand, obviously? Could that be done through a lifestyle, through an influence, through how we live? Could that be done through simple things? You know, we, uh, we practice a lot of this. Is, we'll use this illustration. Are our card groups doing any of that? Yeah, I mean, they're not only letting people know that we, live, we exist, that, but, but we care. Which, by the way, I didn't tell you last week uh, this, but uh, Debbie Smith, you know, she had surgery yesterday. She stopped me before they left the other day, or right, not a few days before they left the other day, and she said that she felt like that she needed to uh, buy a whole case of cards and send them to Ironathan because she thinks we've used up all the ones we had on her. So that means a lot. And she stopped the car rider line and beat on my window to roll down to tell me that. So thank you for that. But that, that, that matters. You know, when we, when we show ourselves to care, that sows a seed to one extent within itself. That's not where we stop. We're trying to open a door. We're trying to get in someone's heart so we can get in their head. But we use whatever our talents are to do so. And again, there's monetary means involved. Yes, sir. Some of them can become preachers. You know, things can, 
Right. If you couldn't hear Brad, very good illustration there. A woman rearing up her children. No telling what comes out of that. Those children grow up, they become Christians. They, they in turn uh, bring forth Christians as well. There may be uh, preachers, teachers, there may be other things that come out. A woman in her place, then what she can do has a huge impact on that. That's for sure. So we, right. So we continue to sow the seed. We continue to show the light. We continue to bring the measure of the meat, basically, in that. Or else, that or some of that could be taken away. Verse 26 of Mark chapter 4. And he said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man who casts seed in the ground. Verse 27 and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should have sprang up and grown, and he knoweth not how. So just put a pause right there, tying together verse 25, 26, and 27. What's the illustration here? A man sows seed, he gets up at some point, a day or so later, and what's happened to the seed? It's beginning to sprout. And he tells us about that man what? He don't know how that happened. Now, now, we have scientists and all these things, and, and they can describe all the stages of a seed and the way that it, you know, it, that it comes about. But in the end of the day, that doesn't really make altogether good sense. That doesn't really show us exactly why and how each of those things happen. So an illustration sounds to be the case in that seed is sown, and ultimately it oftentimes springs up from a seed, ultimately in the beginning, verse 26 it was, and it becomes within itself a plant that is sprang up, and yet we don't necessarily know how. To me, that's encouraging. Because not just these two verses, but a few forward of this, uh, you can oftentimes see preachers, teachers, Christians sometimes who get frustrated because they teach, or at least they attempt to teach, they attempt to sow seed, they attempt to shine light, they attempt to measure meat, and they ultimately don't always see the fruit that we like to see in verse 20. Don't always see that. And I've known of, I mean, Near about been there, done that, but I've known of preachers for sure, just using them for an illustration of this, who get frustrated and quit. Because they say, look, I gave X congregation every ounce of energy I had. I put all the work into it I could, and I saw absolutely no growth. Does that mean it didn't exist? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And I'm not to say anything about me at all, but I've had people come to me two, three, four, five years in the past, you know, in forward, I can't say in the past. After the, After the fact, that's the term I'm looking for. And they'll say, do you remember when you were here and you said this and you did that? And I'm like, I, I don't know that we've ever met. 
And sometimes they'll have a positive thing to say. Well, they'll say, well, you said this, and it made me think that, and I went and did this. And it's a, it's a beautiful story how it winds itself out. And sometimes the measure that we're attempting to meet, the light that we're attempting to shine, the seed that we're attempting to show, a sow, in that case, ends up bringing forth a plant from the seed, and we don't know how it got there. But we're excited that it has. And sometimes we have to look for those smaller, if you will, more hidden fruits to come forth from it. Look at the next couple of verses, though. He illustrates a little bit farther in describing some of that growth. Verse 28, he says this, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, and then the ear, and after that the full ear of corn. It's talking about a process. Growth in any form, in this case to use a physical illustration for that, growth in any form is sometimes a process. And that can be encouraging too. We're sowing seed. And maybe we sow seed and it, we, it does spring out a plant. And there is some uh, fruit that seems to be born of that. But then you watch it for a while and maybe it doesn't develop as quickly as you might believe or think that it should. And we have to stand back and say to ourselves, well, for them and also for us in our lives, there is a process. And the process maintains its order. Verse 29. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately and put it in the sickle because the harvest is come. And so we've got what I called back up in verse 24 as predetermined growth. That is the growth that comes forth is a direct coordination with the effort that is put in. Then we have what I'm calling here, for lack of better terms, mysterious growth. Sometimes we don't know how the growth came about. We don't understand the growth, but we're thankful for it. And then there's yet another type here. He adds to that in verse 30, and he said, Whereunto shall it liken to the kingdom of God? So we're still talking about the kingdom of God. Shall it liken to the kingdom of God? And what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. For when it is sown on the earth, it is less than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, verse 32, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So I'm calling this the innumerable, I should say, growth. So we've got predetermined growth. Effort equals the growth. We've got a mysterious growth. We don't necessarily see or know how, but we have an immeasurable growth right here described in the mustard seed. Now, you've heard this discussion before. He talks about the mustard seed. He says, Jesus does at least, the mustard seed is of the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. It is less, quote, King James speak at least, than all the seeds of the earth. Is that true? I would say yes because he said, but is it literally, absolutely, for all that we've discovered, true? No. It's actually not. And I, I did some looking at this up again today just to kind of check, double check myself on this. Supposedly, the mustard seed that they assume is being spoken of here, generally they're about one to two millimeters in size. Fairly small, very small as a matter of fact, in comparison to what you get out of it.
the, the, the tree that comes out, the mustard tree, was larger. He even, he even mentions here that it grows up to the point where the fowls of the air can even nest in such. So it grows up to be something. But it comes from something fairly insignificant. Now, um, I, I read through a guy today. He was talking about someone he knew of. I don't know these people. But someone he knew of, he called by name, who said, quote, lost his faith because of these verses. Because he said, here's a Bible discrepancy. Jesus said the mustard seed was the smallest of all the seeds, supposedly, but that's not even the case. Seeds, as we've come to know or understand, some of them are even microscopic, meaning you literally need a microscope to see them. Um, I just lost... I just lost one of them that was. It's an orchid. Orchid seeds. Anybody ever grow an orchid? Is that small? I've never, I don't know anything about it. Is it? Supposedly they're, they're, they're like, you know, pencil lead shavings type stuff. And still grow. So smaller than mustard seed. What Jesus seems to do here, and it happens in so many cases, he uses hyperbole. He uses something that's more familiar to them. Mustard seed from more familiar to them. And he says, yes, it's the smallest, but look at what it does. And the idea is here, it's innumerable growth. It, it comes out, it develops into more than is ever expected of it. Up into the point. Mm -hmm. Seeds that they would commonly use that would have been sown preceding verses. More common than that, yes. Seeds a farmer would have used. So then he comes down to this, or we reread the ending toward this, the 33. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, and they were able to hear it. I've got that verse circled, the whole verse. You don't circle whole verses. That's great news. They were able to hear it. So meaning when he spoke of the sower sowing the seed, they, they got it. They begin to understand it. When he says, you need to shine your light, have your light to be reflective of me, they get it, they understand it. When he says you have to bring the measure that you meet and continue to bring forth fruit from that, they get it. When he says that he gives them illustrations of the plants and the seeds, they begin to get it. But how do they get it? Verse 34 is the last verse in the context. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when he, I'm sorry, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. How did they get it? He was willing to explain. We have in this case, context-wise, verse 1 to 20, we have Jesus bringing out a parable of the sower and then the explanation of it. Jesus is willing to do that. And the beauty of it is, is you and I have these 66 books put together and guess what they do all the way through? They expound on themselves. They explain themselves. And so that's what he was able to do. Now we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, verse 35 to 41. And maybe in these last months, get through four chapters anyway. Uh, but you'll be recognizing that one next week. So 35 to 41. And that is him being on the, on the ship in a storm.